Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 9. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Dave DeRosa, VP of Satuit Technologies. Dave is my only guest to date that I'm aware of who has been tased, as in, don't tase me, bro. More on that later. <laughs> he started his star-studded sales career in the music industry, working alongside executives whose clients were Bruno Mars, Jay-Z, Phil Collins, and dozens of other major acts. It was there he realized his true passion lied in serving customers directly and controlling his own income, which led him to begin his now decade-long career in SaaS sales. In that decade, he's worked in transportation, public safety, and most recently, asset management at Satuit Technologies. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Amanda, thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, we're really excited for you to share some of your sales wisdom with us today. And with that, let's dive into the 12 questions. First off, tell us a bit about your sales career, where you've been, um, about your tasing story. That would be great too. <laughs> How you got to where you are now uh, and a little, about, a little bit about Situa Technologies. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of impossible not to laugh at that when you, when you look at it in hindsight. But um, to go from the music industry to getting tased voluntarily is, uh, is a pretty interesting path. So, uh, yeah, right out of college, uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to grow up and go to college near New York City. I got into the music industry, which um, it, it was just an incredible journey getting in there because everything that you've read about it is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very difficult and, and um a lot of smart people climbing the ladder, but it was great to be able to, you know, be in a meeting with a guy like Jay-Z, right? So uh, seeing that and then seeing the impact that certain people had, um, it, it got me really excited, right? Like as this wide-eyed 21-year-old and, and seeing people rolling around and, you know, $500,000 cars, like, wait a minute, I want to control my own income. Now, I don't have a Maybach or anything, but it got my eyes kind of wide open to if you can be an entrepreneur, you can really control your own destiny. Um, at the time, uh, back in 2009, we were in a recession, but it was pretty quick to see that uh, people were starting to go to a subscription model. And I saw that firsthand in the music industry where it was originally brick and mortar sales. I don't know if you remember like Sam Goody or, or going to Best Buy when like the Britney Spears album dropped or something <laughs> along those lines, right? But all of a sudden this crazy technology called Pandora started coming out and, and all of a sudden people started paying for their music by subscription. I said, wait a minute, there's something to this, right? So um, got into a technology company that focused on uh, truck and routing transportation, uh, which was at the time I was like, this is gonna be so boring. It was so much fun to be able to work with these companies that had these massive logistical problems and selling them software that actually solved, saved tons of jobs at the time, right? Because the, the margins were razor thin and, and they were looking for the, the best way to save a buck. And then also to, to just create these big complex systems, it, it was kind of addicting because you wanna get bigger and more complex and, and all of a sudden you see your contract start to grow as you become more educated. Um, and that was really exciting. And then one day at the time it was called Taser, now Axon gave me a call and, and that's right around when body cameras started to explode. Um, like I said, voluntarily tased during uh, orientation. Um, they offer the, uh, the opportunity, we'll call it, to everybody that's a new hire. And uh, I'm a big proponent of you better know what you're selling or else you won't be able to, to sell it properly. And uh, that was an interesting five seconds of my life. But at the end of the day, uh -huh. <laughs> um, 
really a great firm, a great place where they're selling life-saving technology. And it was just incredible to get the inside behind the curtain view of how these major police organizations truly care about the communities that they serve. And, and it was fun to just be a part of that process and, and being able to enable them with the technology that they can use. So um, would opt not to get tased again, but would absolutely uh, do a ride along with those, with those officers any day of the week. So. Wow. It's, it's been fun so far. I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, we're only at the beginning, but. <laughs> and then now, of course, I'm at Satua Technologies, which is, um, it, we focus specifically on asset managers and the asset management industry. And um, I, I've started there uh, this past November. Uh, it's a great opportunity. I'm, I'm one of 35 total employees and I'm, I'm leading a small sales team as a player coach. And uh, it's been really fun so far. Fantastic. What a di diverse uh, group of <laughs> industries you have worked at. I mean, yeah. yeah, but that's really cool. Your passion for customers problem solving and being a consultative salesperson really comes through even already in our conversation. So I'm excited <laughs> about what you have to say Thanks. and really, really excited for you to be able to give us some perspective from both the player and the coach role given, um, you know, the coronavirus uh, global pandemic going on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us first, what sources do you rely on to stay up to date on the sales and sales management profession? Yeah. So um, maybe I'm a product of my generation, but I like the bite size, um, the bite size pieces where I don't need to sit down for an hour and, and listen to something. If I'm listening to a podcast, I always spin it up to 2x so I can try to get through it quickly. So that being said, um, I'm a big fan of Sales Hacker just because if I do have the time to sit down, uh, there's a lot of great content on that website. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, I follow a lot of personalities, so to speak. So uh, I like Gary Vee, even though he's more of brand marketing and things of that nature. I, I think his mentality of uh, hustling and, and no excuses and play to your strengths. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to uh, meet him a couple of times and, and you know, have the inside track on, on what his strategies are. It's been really interesting to watch those go into fruition. And then also a guy named Brian G. Burns on LinkedIn. Um, some really funny content from Brian um, where he, he kind of goes through kind of memes of what it's like to be in sales where it's like, hey, here's your, I'm your sales manager. Here's, uh, here's your quota. Uh, we didn't think about it at all, but good luck hitting it for the year. Can't <laughs> wait to get my Ferrari. Like, it's just like really just like bite-sized pieces. But if you dig in, he has really great perspective. So that's the way I look into it. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to follow him. That sounds great. And to have yeah, some levity, levity mixed in there with the good. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Always useful. Anything yeah. else on that one? Uh, no, those are my three big ones that I'm paying attention to. Awesome. And I'll definitely make sure I include those in the show notes. What about all time favorite business books? Business books. Yeah. So um, I'm sure I, I think some of your guests have already said challenger sale a million times. Um, <laughs> I don't agree with it a hundred percent, but I think the macro notes on it are, are, might as well be commandments for salespeople. Yeah. Um, there, there are some minor, you know, there's some pieces of it where it's like, all right, that might be a little bit too much. But um, I love the challenger sale because I, I think it, it encourages salespeople to break out of their shell and just get it done. Um, I'm a big fan of EQ. So there's this book I have, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Love it. It gives you, it's not all about being book smart and memorization. It, it's about reading the person on the other side of the table and, and trying to meet them where they need to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's absolutely paramount in, in any type of consultative sales process. Um, 
I've heard quite a bit, especially after listening to your interviews, the sales acceleration formula. Uh, I think that's got to be the next one on my bookshelf because that's, I read the spark notes for it. I said, all right, I need to dig in here. So that's, that's <laughs> the next one on my docket as I still have some kind of time during this pandemic. Yeah, that's a great one. I would, I would highly recommend that. Yeah. Thanks. I'll include all, all three of those on the notes. Cool. Um, have you found running a sales team in a recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale? Yeah. So I think in my current position with the player coach, this is where it, it becomes pretty interesting because there isn't, it's a blended line. It is pretty gray. Um, so I would say the answer is obviously yes. It, there, it's Of course it's different. Otherwise it, there wouldn't be less managers in the world than there are individual contributors. Um, but what I find to be interesting is that, I mean, I personally find myself very connected to my team's results as much as my own. Um, and, and that was surprising to me because at, when you're an individual contributor, you have your blinders on, you have your number, you need to hit it. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, when you start caring about other people, you start noticing a lot of details that were really easy to miss. And, and I think that's been the, the biggest difference for me thus far is, is kind of opening your eye up to the whole you know, kingdom, kind of like Simba and the Lion King, like everything the light touches. All of a sudden you're starting to see it. It's, the world's a lot bigger than you think it is, which is pretty interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I, I could definitely see that being a, a big change from having a more myopic view to an expanded view. Mm -hmm. So are there any um, key points that you want to share about differences you've noticed or mm -hmm. biggest uh, kind of surprises that you weren't expecting and in moving into the coaching role? Yeah, I think, and, and I, I think it's easy to realize this when you're not when you're in the forest or, or, you know, you're not exactly focused on the whole picture, but people aren't going to care about your goals as much as you do. Right. It's like the same reason that like, if someone asks, well, why don't my employees care about my business as much as I do as a CEO? And it's because they don't have a stake in it as much as you. So mm -hmm. I, I think keeping that in mind and, and keeping an idea is what's the carrot we're actually dangling here. I think that helps to keep employees and, and teams motivated, you got to keep an eye on that or else you're just going to be the person barking orders. Yeah, definitely. So you feel like, how do you feel like that this in particular role has um, sort of helped form your coaching style mm. and kind of increased your empathy, you know, for your team? Yeah. So I have always been, if I've ever been a team captain or, you know, leading a team, I've always been like the the perpetual optimist, which I'm sure is freaking annoying to certain people because they just want to put their head down and get the work done. But um, I'm fortunate. My team is, is they're, they're awesome people. Um, they, they get it and they're open to learning. So I, I never, you could take a horse to water all day, but if they're not going to open their ears and minds, it doesn't really matter. So I took the first couple of weeks just trying to get to know them and try to understand what motivates them. Um, one, one of my guys is he does, he does freestyle rapping on the side, right. As just like his hobby and he wow. loves basketball and he's just like really into these things that frankly, I'm not very good at, <laughs> but <laughs> in understanding what he cares about, it was a lot easier to find parallels. So I love baseball and golf. He couldn't care less about either of those things, but I could tell him, Hey, it's, this is like a free throw, right? You have two chances to get it. Otherwise you, you know, you got to go back and do the play again and trying to create those parallels was a really great way. So I think investing in understanding who your people are is um, that was at least for me, the best way to go about it. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And um, I featured an article in my newsletter last week from Harvard Business Review's blog, and it talked about the power in um, personalized coaching and how, why it is so important and the direct results and impacts, positive impacts for your team when you coach people as individuals and know them and have empathy mm -hmm. for them. And so this article was talking about the direct like scientific correlation to um, people being becoming more resilient as a result of individualized coaching. So man, you should be writing articles for HBR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, if the, uh, if the admissions uh, dean over at Harvard across the river here is uh, listening, I would love to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but really that was, <laughs> that was an excellent point and very timely. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah. What changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys made in light of the economic challenges brought on by COVID-19? Yeah, so the projections, we're a very small organization as far as headcount goes, mm -hmm. um, but our technology is also very niche. So we've had to, we had goals at the beginning of the year and we, we kind of had to have a big mind about that and just say, you know what, we have the goals, but we got to make sure the lights stay on and that these people continue, can continue cashing their paychecks. So mm -hmm. we have great recurring revenue as, as an organization. Uh, what, what my team specifically has been focusing on is net new logos. Um, so in that effort, what we've been doing instead is saying no one, especially in the asset management industry, given the last couple of weeks and months, um, I don't know about you, but my 401 has been miserable to look at, yeah. uh, <laughs> and says I'm sure everybody else has. Uh, so we thought, you know what, none of these people want to get a phone call from us. None of these people want to hear from us. They certainly don't want to be sold to. How can we make deposits? And what I mean by deposits is how can we help them so when the dust settles and when everything blows over and when rainbows start coming out of the sky again, all of a sudden they say, hey, you know what? Those people over at Situate were really helpful to me. I'm willing to listen to them. And we're in a unique position to provide value. We know the software that we have right now can absolutely provide value to the folks that are in the positions they're in. Namely, because it communicates, it helps them communicate with their investors. And right now, it's a really important time to have streamlined, sharp investor communication. But now's not the time to say, hey, let's talk about proposals and contracts. So, <laughs> so we've been um, creating email messaging and creating, uh, we actually gave free licenses to many of our current customers to help them get through the time so they could really ramp up their abilities. But <laughs> from the net new logo standpoint, we try to provide information and insight to the industry. So if our emails do happen to catch the eyes of the right people, they get value in a situation where they might not have. Um, we think that's preparing us on the back end. So when they do see our names pop up in the inbox or on the caller ID again, they're going to say, you know what? That little nugget of information was actually really helpful in a time where the sky was on fire. Uh, that, so that's really been the way that we've pivoted instead of, instead of just trying to light the world on fire. It's, it's been much more targeted and, um, and trying to empathize, frankly, with our prospects. Yeah. Sounds like you guys are doing a, a good job being humans, which is really great. And there's never yeah. been a better time to actually sound like a human as a salesperson. So but couldn't agree goes. more. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, but you know what, I, I think as people communicate faster and faster and faster, the people who try to pull the wool and the, the non-humans and the snake oil bastards, they're going to get, they're going to get routed out. It's, I think it's so obvious in nowadays sales that you can't be that, that stereotypical, 
you know, I'm here to give you a product that's going to change your life. Like no one, no one cares about that anymore. It's such a, it's such a more real and personal process. I, yeah. I, I just triple down on that whenever I can. No, I am right in the same boat with you. And I know you listened to um, a couple episodes of the show before our interview today. And I'm sure you heard me talk about like down with bro sales culture. And I'm here to do <laughs> everything I can um, during yeah. my career to help change the perception of salespeople and yeah. bring people into organizations who actually care and are empathetic and want to problem solve with their customers like you. Um, yeah. And your answer to that question will dovetail nicely here into the next one. So <laughs> What's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now, given the sudden economic downturn? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of the best advice I ever got uh, from a friend of mine actually developed and sold his business at a young age. The guy knows exactly what he's talking about. He said, triple down on your strengths. And I use that term triple down pretty often, obviously, but you got to triple down on your strengths. You got to know what you're good at. I'm not saying that you have, that you don't have to work on what you are bad at, but if you have a team of salespeople that's really, really good at just knowing, they're trained to know how to qualify problems and, and hit them, you got to triple down on that. And you got to figure out how can you get your team into a position where their strengths are the absolute best in the market. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's another way to do it, frankly. I, well, there's probably a bunch of different ways to do it. I think that's the best way to do it, where in a situation where highly specialized people like us as salespeople have the ability to generate such an impact on an organization, whether they've realized it at the time or not, you, you got to be able to just have your brand and, and absolutely be an expert in it. Yeah. And I totally agree with that kind of psychology of doubling down on your strengths, identifying your strengths um, and, and maximizing your strengths. I'm, I'm a maximizer according to strengths finders 2.0 nice. profile and nice. um, you know, a, a DC or a CD, depending on the day I took a disc assessment, <laughs> but I, I totally <laughs> am Depend, with you. Yeah. It's, is it before my coffee or after? Right. It, you know, <laughs> did I just close a deal or am I, did I, am I bitter about something? Yeah, I get you. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love doubling and tripling down on your strengths and building a team around um, those important specialized skill sets and then going and doing the thing that hunters do. So that's great. Yeah. And not to be confused, like I said, not to be confused with not working on your weaknesses because some people like, like me, for example, my attention to detail is not the best, but I'm still going to try to be really good at that. But if my strength is being able to walk into a room and, and get 20 phone numbers a room of 30 people and get 20 phone numbers by the end of the night, I'm going to try to do that as much as possible mm -hmm. instead of trying to say, you know what, do I have this sentence, have, have this word here, or this word there? No, nah, let's just make it happen. Keep the car running and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Strong agree. <laughs> cool. Tell me a little bit about how cross-departmental cross communication is handled at Situate Technologies. For instance, how intertwined is sales with product, marketing, and customer yeah. success? Yeah. So our CEO does a fantastic job of keeping everybody on the same page, uh, especially during the pandemic as our company started to go more remote. I mean, we're really good at remote because we're, we're all over the place to begin with geographically. We have our 30 some odd employees in, in Braintree, Massachusetts. Then we have folks in the UK and, and all over the place. So our CEO has done a good job of being the single source of information and letting everybody know what everybody else is doing. We also have the benefit of being a small organization. So 
while it is no small task to get a bunch of people marching in lockstep, it is a little easier when there's only five people to work with on, on a customer success team, for example, versus 50 or 20 or whatever. Um, so all of that has been going through the CEO and, and those messages have been coming upwards from the manager and from the individual managers. And it's been great because it's been helping everybody's morale. So if contracts freeze or if things go, things go dark, it's a little easier for people to understand like, Hey, you know, the sales team is doing this to get you guys more leads so we can continue moving the business forward, which has been good. And I think that's been a really strong exercise by her. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you guys are a female owned company. I should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, but I love that the book stops with her and that she takes, you know, the reins and responsibility for mm -hmm. making sure that things are disseminated properly and sounds like she's receptive to to feedback from managers and um, that's great. And will certainly uh, come in handy as you guys continue to grow. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. You go girl. <laughs> I'll, I'll relay the message. Okay. <laughs> um, in what ways are individual members of the sales team held accountable for the retention of their customers? Like is their pay structured in such a way that they're incentivized mm. to ensure that renewals happen? Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty standard structure in the sense that there are accelerators baked in. Um, we have mid-year numbers and full-year numbers. And of course, if you hit your numbers, you get more money. Mm -hmm. um, we do have a commission draw, but it's recoverable. So it's really more of just a, an interest-free loan. Um, we are incentivized to, to hit our numbers and, and you want to have a balanced book of business. So you don't want to have everything just closing in Q4, right? Because otherwise you're missing your bonuses throughout the year if you're hitting your mid-year numbers. Hmm. Uh, it is balanced against the salary, which is good because it is a longer sales process. So, so you know, we want our reps being happy and uh, throughout the year, but when they hit their numbers, we want them to be pumped. All right. Myself included as a player, right? Like I love hitting numbers because mm -hmm. that means I get bigger commission checks. Yeah, definitely. And do you feel like of the different organizations that you have worked in and on, um, was there anything that stood out to you, good or bad, about how your commissions were structured with regard to renewals? Yeah. So ironically, all of the different industries that I've worked in thus far, um, they have been really similar structures. Salary plus commission with kickers. And, and there's, of course, President's Club here and there, right, or, or, or things of that nature. But mm -hmm. I like the structure. Um, I am a big fan that, uh, of, of, or I guess a big proponent. If you're in sales, you're just a CEO who doesn't want to do marketing or finance or <laughs> any of those kinds of things. You want to focus on the fun part of the job, which is closing deals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I actually, I like the structure. I, I think salary is generally just it's a nice to have and that true salespeople would be as comfortable in a fully commissioned job than not. Mm -hmm. it I think there's also a point where you get to a certain level where the salary is, is kind of a bonus and the commissions are, are what you're planning your year on. Totally. Um, but yeah, from, from my perspective, um, I like the kicker strategy. I like the P club strategy. Uh, at my one, at one company, I, they just gave you cash. They didn't even have a P club. They said, here you go. You, you made president's club here. Here's a check for 1% of your total quota. I was mm -hmm. like, sweet. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is great. I could do whatever I want with cash. But, mm -hmm. um, but I also think there is a hidden value to something like a, like a president's club trip because all of a sudden you're interfacing with your executives and 
you're on the all-star team and you have, you know, Joe Torrey looking at you like, Oh yeah, you're a good ball player. Let's, let's have more conversations. And it mm-hmm. opens up bigger doors down the line. Definitely. Okay, great. That's a great point And a good point for other sales leaders to hear um, from the player perspective. So that's great. Sure. How do you coach your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers? Yeah. So I think this is a big one, right? Like you can't get caught lying or trying to stretch the truth because as I alluded to before, people communicate fast and you will get called out on it and the world is very, very small. So if you get caught trying to close a deal and you do it the wrong way, your people know about it. Um, so I think honesty and ethics are always kind of at the, they're, they're two major pillars on any time on anything I'm coaching at any time. Um, you have to be paying attention to, are we doing this the right way? Don't play in the mud. You can disparage the features of competitive software or something along those lines, but, but don't be a jerk, right? Be valuable, you know, be, take the high road, be the person that they want to continue to work with. Um, because the nature of our business as subscription sellers is that you're not, it's not just a one and done. Your, your customers, if you do your job properly, will continue to come back to the well and they will remember if you were a jerk. So, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. So are you guys currently in a hiring freeze? Currently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were doing a good job with, you know, light staff to begin with. Um, but right now we're not hiring too many folks. Uh, we did take a couple of cuts, uh, salary wise, but that's just so we can make sure to continue to serve our customers best and, uh, and keep operating on all cylinders. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, how do you guys source talent when you are looking what works and what hasn't? Yeah. You know, I actually haven't, I I would say I haven't been there long enough to know. Um, unfortunately I, I would love to be able to answer that question and say, I've had my, my hands in the whole process, but I can tell you when I was sourced, um, it was an application and, and, you know, I, I said, Hey, take a look at my resume. Let me know what you think. And, um, the, the interviews go quickly and, and we try to ramp up quickly too. So it's, it's very much so, um, sourcing from talent. We were fortunate enough to be around Boston. So there's a very, there's a high, uh, there's a high amount of folks who are technically inclined and don't necessarily want to be in downtown Boston and Braintree is a 20 minute ride from Boston without Mm -hmm. traffic. So yeah, yeah. it's a really lovely area. Mm -hmm. Um, well in any of your, any of the times that you have been interviewed or when you have been interviewing candidates, were there any particular things that stood out good or bad on how you or how you assessed others for skills and or cultural fit? Yeah, I think it's really obvious when folks try to fit a square peg in a round hole. So just being yourself goes so far. You know, like I remember I interviewed this guy once when I was, this is a long time ago when I was at the record label and he showed, this guy loved, breathed music. It was his life. And he showed up to the, this is going to sound so ridiculous now, 10 years later, talking about <laughs> B2B SaaS, but this guy showed up, like he was in a band and he showed up in like the leather pants that he would wear on stage when he was nice. performing. And he was like, he was, he was applying to be my intern. I'll never forget this guy. I <laughs> couldn't tell you his name, but he was one of the craziest people I ever met. And I'm sitting here like, you know what? Like this guy, like he's crazy, but he's so himself that it just, even a decade later, a decade plus later, it sticks out in my mind. It's just like, you just gotta be you because 
people are going to be really, it's going to be very obvious if, if that guy showed up wearing like a suit and tie, like it would have been so uncomfortable. And I, I think that translates really, really well to folks who are trying to go into industries that they don't necessarily like, or um, just trying to go for jobs just to get a paycheck. If the passion's not there and it's not you, it's obvious, I think. Yeah, I like that. Don't fit a uh, square peg in a round hole. I think that's great. Be yourself. Also, also, don't wear leather pants to an interview if you're going for a B2B SaaS position, but yeah. you know, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably a really good point. Maybe no matter what your personality, that's maybe just we- weekend wear, business was, in the front, party in the back. Yeah, it was a, he was a weird guy, but he was a good intern, believe it or not. I, I hired him, by the way. Awesome. I do yeah. believe it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What are one to three pieces of advice you give other sales VPs competing in the sub- yeah. subscription economy right now? And is that any different than what you would have said pre-COVID-19? Yeah, no, I, I think I, I stay the course on this type of advice. Um, I think this is a great question. I love that you ask it. Uh, I think number one, A, invest in people. Always invest in people. Always know that the, the building blocks of your organization can be, if you don't get the right people, it'll crumble and you just got to make sure it's your job as a manager to put the right people in the right place. Otherwise you would just be a key account manager or, you know, not to say that's a bad thing at all, but you wouldn't be in a management position if that were the case. So I think investing in people is, is always one a, um, and don't be blind to the data, right? So just because you want something to work out doesn't mean that it's going to work out. So, try to zoom out and try to pay attention to the facts. I'm, I'm an Italian guy from Jersey. It's very easy for me to get excited about things, but <laughs> zooming out, slowing myself down and, and saying, you know what, this fact of the situation, sometimes you just got to eat crow and, and move on. So those are two lessons that I've learned and, and that I've seen my peers learn. And, and I think they ring true no matter what the state of the world is. That's great. And I like uh, that you mentioned to invest in people. Um, That's such an important thing that we can all as coaches and sales leaders be doing right now for our teams. That is free. Um, Everybody's Uh at home. This is a completely different experience for, Uh you know, most people, I guess those who are already fully remote, it's maybe a little less foreign, but still all the other challenges are coming along with it. You know, being a good manager means, you know, circling around with those people regularly, checking in with them and doing that kind of customized, empathetic uh, individualized rather coaching that we talked about just yep. a few minutes ago. Yep. Um, but that's free. That doesn't cost your organization anything, but those inputs will, you know, provide amazing outputs for your sales organization. So I, I love absolutely. that you touched on that. Yeah. It's sweat equity, right? Like it's old fashioned elbow grease where, you that's know, right. it's, it's, it's an interesting rock to flip over, but when you do, you can, you can get some pretty good ROI out of it. So yeah, glad we see eye to eye. Big time. All right, last question. So I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility as salespeople to get the economy moving again. How can Mm -hmm. we speed up that process? I think especially for your listeners, it's all about the value sell. It's all about saying, it's all about making sure that your product is genuinely solving a problem and genuinely making an operation more efficient. if you truly believe that and if you're truly educated on that and if you're doing your job the right way, uh, it, I agree with you. It is up to us to get the world going around and get those stock tickers back up and, and ultimately get people jobs back so they can, so the world can keep you know, revolving. Um, so selling value, really thinking about that value and how it impacts every stakeholder of a deal 
and showing the people who have the power to make that decision why they're going to get 5, 10, 20x ROI, whatever, ROI out of your product, mm -hmm. that is paramount. And I think that's our responsibility. Yeah, I love that. Uh, making a true business case for what you're selling. Um, any final thoughts, Dave? No, no, it was, it's been great going through these 12 questions. I appreciate that. Yeah, excellent advice. Thank you again to Dave DeRosa at Satuit Technologies for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. And I want to introduce a quick new offer that myself and the team of amazing sales recruiters that I work with are offering to help you through the COVID-19 crisis. For recruiting contracts signed by June 30th, 2020, we will offer a one-year candidate replacement guarantee, a four-day in-person sales training session, the craft metrics, aptitude, and coaching profile, and 90-day payment terms. Email amanda at subscriptioncoach.com and let's talk about your team. We'll see you next time on the Sales and the Subscription Economy podcast.